Imagine yourself under a starry sky around the warm glow of the sacred fire. As your hosts, Saren Odinson, Jim Two Snakes, and Caitlin Stormbreaker talk about shamanism, animism, books, science, psychology, pop culture, and more. Welcome to a show inspired by those late night conversations by real life spiritual practitioners. Won't you come and join us around Grandfather Fire? I see your wry smile in the comedian's grin and the smirk of an elder. I see your form in the lighter flame and the cigar smoke. I see your signs where spiders weave and foxes prance. I hear your chuckles at the joke's climax and the laughter of crowds. I hear your giggle at the little follies and honest mistakes. I hear your howl at the hurt of children and injustices, cruelties. I feel your touch before the the small fire and candle flame. I feel your power in the throes of laughter and heat of torches. I feel your presence when truth is told and laughter heals. Hail, Loke Laufesen. This is too high. Hail. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Around Grandfather Fire. You're listening to episode number 85. I am Jim Two Snakes, joined as always by my good friends and co-hosts, Sarah Thodenson and Caitlin Stormbreaker. How's everybody doing tonight? I'm not fully sure that I'm even awake right now, to be totally honest. (laughs) Sleep has been uh, an elusive bitch to me the last week and a half, two weeks or so. I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm just like, I, I don't know if I'm awake anymore, if I'm dreaming, or... What the fuck's going on? So this should be a great episode for me tonight. <laughs> Sleep deprived, Caitlin. Yay! Oh, I mean, that's nothing new, really. And you guys thought she had no filter before. <laughs> it's about to get a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I am kind of the opposite. I woke up just a few minutes ago. I was like, earlier today, I was just like, I can't. I The combination of a book I'm reading... A blanket, the cat, and the couch were too much for me to overcome. So I woke up, looked at the clock, and went, I got an interview in 10 minutes. Okay, we got to get going here. <laughs> got to get up and move. That's right. That's that right. Was, oh, God, that was me last night. Because the only time I have time to read is right before I go to bed. And sometimes it's it's a fight to even get through a couple of paragraphs. But I'm, I'm actually reading through the Witcher series right now which I have never done before. Um, and it's, it's very good. Um, and I, last night my eyes were crossing and I kind of felt myself doing the, the, the head nod thing. And I was like, okay, I'm done. I don't know what's going on, but I'm done. <laughs> what about you, Sarah? How are you doing? Let's see. Uh, I had an outpatient procedure last night, so that was really fun. Oh, um, goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Nothing big. Just a simple routine procedure. Uh, not to get too too deep in the weeds on it, but long story short is I think two is enough. Enough kids. So ah ah, understand. Okay. So uh, recovery is going pretty well. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, 
just uh, went out shopping today and got things for the house. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's adulting time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I actually noticed a, a picture that you shared of your dining room table. And I think we have the exact same dining room table. I think so. Yeah. Because <laughs> yes. I thought, I was like, oh, that seems very familiar. The Scott Gay from Ikea. I don't remember the name of it, but yeah, it's it's a big, long, uh, yeah, it, it just looks very similar if it's not the same one. Yeah. It's a good table. Um, honestly, a lot, of, a lot of home stuff. Uh, of course, I've also been writing on my blog. My most recent post was on, oh, Lord, uh, Heathen Prepping for Convergent Crises. Um, it's mm. a series that Jim uh, planted in my brain and I couldn't leave alone. So <laughs> um, then I really I enjoyed it. I then rat walked away. Yeah. 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 You're rat <laughs> bastard. That's okay. Malik's been doing that to me recently and I'm noodling on a few ideas right now that they have given me. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. I'm like, thanks Malik. Appreciate it. <laughs> but yeah. Um, a lot of, getting ready and getting geared up to start my spirit work for other people yet again come Mm -hmm. March. Um, I've got my new schedule lined out. I think I mentioned this in the last show about needing to really buckle down and be like, okay, this is, these are my office hours. And so Mm, a lot of my prep for this month has been, okay, what's this going to look like? What are the new workshops I'm working on? A lot of behind the scenes stuff that I'm really hoping people enjoy when I come back and, March and start again. Mm-hmm. I'm really proud of you for doing that. By the way, I know it was, I know it was a very difficult growing point for you and your path and in your practice, but it was a much needed growing point, I think. Um, and I'm proud of you for reaching out to people to help you kind of figure that out too, because I know you had a few people supporting you through that. So that's. That's incredible. And and allow it to morph and change as you go too, because what you have set up right now might not be exactly it either, you know, experiment and kind of toss some ideas around and, and let it transform into what it's going to be. You know, this is, this is just base one. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's basically where I'm at right now is uh, seeing how things unfold and, and where people actually want to go with my content. Because a yeah. lot of a lot of my work in general through my Patreon and otherwise, I mean, even in the case of when I get the writing bug from crap that Jim throws my way, um, I use a lot of other people's sticks for my fire, and a lot of other people provide a lot of the fuel that keeps me uh, moving along certain pathways, and I I appreciate it. It's also a rat bastard thing to do to throw down a bunch of sticks, go, hey, you can burn these, and then walk off. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing I'm going to burn them. But it is it is uh, deeply appreciated because it gives me focus and direction. And so I'm really looking forward to, to the Patreon starting up again so people can throw me their writing suggestions and topics and Q&As and prayers and all that. It provided a dimension into spirit work that, before I started offering it, I didn't have because I would do prayers for Odin or Loki, but it wasn't like I was reaching out to gods that I'd never spoken with or that I would, I would have no cause to reach out to. So it, it's provided me a window into a whole different set of worlds and relationships. So yeah, that's I, I feel that. 
I've been kind of running through a phase lately where, you know, I got to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, I go at stuff pretty hard most of the time. Some of my spoons are looking a little tattered. <laughs> it's not that I'm out of them. It's that uh, they're looking pretty beat up. So I'm trying to figure out where I can reprioritize them and uh, what I should be doing about my own Patreon and things like that. But I have such a hard time, like you guys do, of turning it off sometimes. Of just yeah, putting I think- things down. Like I really... I really struggled a bit today trying to go, okay, all the paperwork that I need to do is done. No, I don't need to dive into, because like, okay, like, for example, we've been having trouble getting the YouTube version of this podcast out because Lightworks Mm -hmm. has been messing up on exporting for me. So after a while of troubleshooting that, I just went and learned an entirely new software over the course of weekend because screw it, we need to get these out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, I, I learned, you. I learned yeah, Adobe Premiere in a weekend and now have been starting Jesus. to get the video. You version. don't get to say shit to me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I wonder why I feel stressed out sometimes. Uh, uh, you know, mm, fucking weird, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, yeah like, well, last night I discovered how to do our LLC taxes. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. Well. You know, um, hey, let's let's do this overnight. Why not? <laughs> sure. I I think some of what I think some of what all of us are going through is kind of like a, a tis the season thing because we are all in the north and it is kind of our our fallow season where we're hunkered yeah. down and stuck inside and you know it's the world is frozen out there. Jesus Christ, we just got hit by a fucking snowstorm that left us with twelve inches of snow everywhere, and mm. you know it's it kind of makes you stop and pause and takes take stock in everything that you have going on in your life. And you're like, okay, I'm, I don't have the energy for this shit. I might have the energy for it in the summer and that's great and all because I should have the energy for it then, but I don't have it now. And I need to prioritize, prioritize some (laughs) things because holy shit, guys, I've actually been, I was forced into because I was having, and I go through this, the the whole crisis of faith thing and belief and all that stuff. And, you know, you always get to, at times you get to that brink of like, oh, well, fuck it. I'm done. I'm just throwing in the towel thing. Um, and Freya kind of sat me down and was like, take a break. Sit down, <laughs> fucking breathe and just take a break. It's fine. What? And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. I'm going to go throw a tantrum in the corner. See ya. Right, right. No, we don't need no tantrums around here. No. <laughs> she encourages them, actually. But I think we should bring our guest in, shall we? I think you're right. Um, so we're really excited for tonight's guest. And this is something that I'm going to say this kind of humorously. So, so bear with me, you guys, we're coming up on Valentine's Day. And so we really need to think about relationships and what relationships look like. No, actually, that's, that's actually kind of tied in. So we're really excited to have our guest on tonight. Uh, Well, Leah Svensson, who is the author of the new book about Loki incision and their relationship to each other and trickster energy, laughter, and all kinds of other fun things. So welcome to Around Grandfather Fire. 
Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Everything you've been saying so far, I'm feeling hard. All three of you. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) We don't usually bring on guests to call them out, but since you're here, it it has happened. (laughs) I mean, Sarah, don't don't lie to her right out of the gate. Come on now, we can call out all of our guests. Sometimes it's accidentally, sometimes it's on purpose. (laughs) This is true. But but tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you, just tell us how you got on on your faith, like what drew you to paganism in general? Um, it's boring because I was raised in it. My uh, awesome. father is heathen. Nice. And my grandfather uh, was born and raised in Norway. And when they came to America, he brought the gods with him, his faith and raised his kids that way. And I was raised that way. And the, it's, it's funny because it's not really that uh, interesting to me because in the Northeast heathen community, there's always been discussions. Oh, it's so exciting with uh, we have this generation of kids that we have raised. So it's cool to see what heathenry is going to look like in a few generations. And I just raised my hand. I'm like, well, I come from what I call an unchurched family. We didn't do rituals. We didn't like, you know, celebrate the holidays and all that stuff. We just, like a lot of Christians nowadays, we knew who the gods were. We honored them as our gods. That was the philosophy and the way we lived our lives. But we weren't like, we we were barely even like the the Christian Easter or the holiday Christians, like the ones who only go on Christmas and Easter. It was just, this is who we are. And it wasn't until well after college that I started meeting other heathens face to face and kind of being absorbed into their community and learning about how Americans do things because I grew up overseas as an army brat. So it was really intimidating for me to come into the Northeast heathen community and meet other heathens because they were so academic. They had read like, you know, every saga and would have debates about how to interpret this, that, the other thing. I'm just sitting there like, I have, I don't even know how to, like if I'm pronouncing my own name correctly, much less, have anything to contribute to what you're saying. So it, it was very intimidating and it took me a long time to kind of. I got to admit, that's much more positive than I thought you were going to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, in my head, when I started hearing about your upbringing, I was going to be like, you came to American heathens and they were all like, you can't possibly be heathen. You don't have all your pelts and horns and axes. And <laughs> what do you mean you're using? Well, I did. I did get into a couple of fights early on because the um, my father's name for for context here. My father's name and my uncle's name, uh, great uncle Knut K N U T, and it's pronounced Knut. So of course I say Val Knut, and everybody I know around here says Val or Val Knut. And I'm like, no, no, it's Val Canute, Val Canute. And they would dismiss me and I'd be like, all right, whatever. And it was also, it was also intimidating for me because I grew up in a very Loki friendly family. Like I associate my grandfather so strongly with Loki. And that was the shocking thing for me when I first learned about American paganism, American heathenry was the disdain that everybody had for Loki. So that was really scary too. So I, I, for the longest time I identified publicly as a, Odin's woman with a strong penchant for Loki and that strong penchant for Loki addendum would get some interesting reactions, but that people took a gamble on me anyway. And then I was like, Nope, 
guess I'm not actually a Lokian or uh, an Odin's woman. I'm a Lokian. And I think Odin wants me to stop tugging at his cloak. He's just like, get the hell away from me. <laughs> it's like, I'm tired of listening to Loki bitch and wine in the background here. Just go to him. <laughs> It's funny because Odin tends to tug at a lot of people's cloaks going, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. But to you, he's just like, no, no, shoot, go away. Yep. He's just like, talk to that one. Knock it the hell off. Like, I'm so fucking tired of your nonsense. Get out of here. (laughs) But, uh, and it's funny because like when you mentioned Freya earlier, um, when talking with a lot of people, it seems that Freya tends to have, uh, Freya and Odin tend to be the big, uh, you know, deities drawing people in. And more often than not, at least with the people I've spoken to, Freya, like they had a come to Freya moment. And uh, I kind of had one because when we came back to America, my mom actually enrolled me in Catholic school because I was 10 years old. I had no idea what Christianity was. This was my first time back in the States. And mom was like, listen, you kind of need to understand the way a lot of people were raised. You need to understand their stories and philosophies. Plus the education overall was much better. And uh, so when I became that rebellious teenager phase and I wanted to piss off the family and kind of go my own way, I converted to Catholicism. And that didn't last a terribly long time, mostly because I went into it partly because of peer pressure, wanting to fit in, and partly because I wanted to get in on the cannibal snack time that was happening every week. But when I finally got my chance, it wasn't so much cannibalism, it was (laughs) feeling like dust and regret in my mouth. So when I finally, <laughs> after a couple of years of it, I, like, I, know. I just got to say, that was the best, like, string of sentences that was put together. <laughs> I think I've right? This is great. <laughs> <laughs> like, you went from cannibalism to just dust and regret. Cannibalism snack time. <laughs> oh, humans taste like pork. And I'm like, no, apparently they don't because this tra- transubstantiation isn't really panning out. The way I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, no, um, this is not what I signed up for. Yeah, I was like, I'm like, really? Y'all are going like up, you're climbing over me in the pews every week to go up and get that? Why? Uh, you have, like, <laughs> Y'all take that dust to dust thing real seriously, don't you? <laughs> so, <laughs> oh <my> God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, uh, like within a few years, of course, I'd reverted back to my damn dirty heathen ways. And it was yeah. Frank that actually kind of was the one waiting for me. So what you're telling me is your gods are multi-green. Yep. <laughs> They're a lot hardier. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. And yeah, and Freya, I just had that impression of her leaning against the doorway with the sardonic grin, like, hey, look what the cat dragged in. You know, how'd that work out for you? Yeah. So everybody had, like, seems to have a come to Freya moment, and I kind of had the Freya welcoming me back moment, rolling her eyes. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, I've had the, uh, the Freya eye roll before, and I'm just like, shut up. Really? Come on. <laughs> I don't need this sass from you. And I'm like, you've been hanging around your cats too long. <laughs> like, Oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's that's my background. That's my religious and theological journey. <laughs> that's really cool, though. It's very different from what we get from a lot of folks, both on and off the show. And it's a very different window into people's development over time and I, I still as a former catholic i think it's absolutely hilarious that that's <laughs> that's the religion you're just rebellious in I like mean, i'm gonna be rebellious in the religion with the most rules like <laughs> sure i feel like the most pagan one though because 
of all the stuff. You're not wrong. And You're the ritual and the transubstantial. Because my stepfather's Lutheran, so I did go to Lutheran services with him. And I'm like, well, this grape juice is lame. And like, I'm no offense, no offense to Protestants or to Steve, but no, this grape juice is not where it's at. And also, why is this just representing? Why why can't it actually be the transubstantiation? Because that's cool. That's metal. Commit you cowards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just I liked the ritual of um Catholicism. And that's actually what made me a better heathen because it introduced me to to what community can be and what ceremony and ritual can be like. So that's what actually got me interested in meeting other heathens eventually further down the line. And I've kind of absorbed and adopted like the way a lot of folks around here on the East Coast do bloat and the songbells that they do and everything. And it's it's weird to say, but Catholicism uh, made me a stronger heathen. It, it took me out of that like unchurched family variety of this is what we believe and brought it to the next level. You know, I actually kind of have to agree with that because uh, my bosses are very Catholic and um, where their business is at is on their home property too. So like when we go eat lunch, we eat lunch in their home. And there were a lot of things that I didn't really understand about uh, Catholicism, but I could see it around their house. Like they had the, the ash uh, words written above their doorway. And when I first saw that I asked because I, as a pagan, I knew what it was, but I wanted to know what it was in the context of their religion. And then through getting closer with my boss's son and kind of getting to know him, who's very steepled in his religion and what I call a good Catholic, because he lives his religion, you know, he studies the scripture, he lives his life through the Bible. Um, and tries to emulate that sort of feeling that he gets from it and pass it along to other people, which is great. And, you know, not everybody can do that, but like through talking with him and him talking to me, because they know I'm not Catholic. They know I'm not Christian. They know I believe in something, but they don't know what that something is. They know I'm spiritual, whatever the hell that means to them. But we haven't gone into great detail about what I believe, except talking with him you know, it has actually helped kind of elevate my own beliefs and my own practices within the heathen community and within the Andean community community. And so it is really interesting to have like a pagan lens going into other religions and seeing what you can find there and seeing how it can enrich your practice. Yep, absolutely. That's why I love interfaith work so much. And Another weird benefit of having gone to Catholic school is it prepared me for a career in uh, funeral service and mortuary work, which is you develop a lot of interfaith relations. And for some reason, even though I'm in like Pennsylvania Dutch country, um, the funeral homes I work ended up working with did a lot of Catholic services. So I was the go-to funeral director for those services because I knew mass so well. And I've always been very much open about being heathen, even when I worked for a funeral home where the owner was Mennonite, like he knew what my beliefs were and he knew my deal and all the priests and pastors and clergy that we worked with also knew, but um, it just, it led to a lot of really fantastic conversations and learning about other cultures. Like I would get excited when we got to do like a Muslim service or Hindu service because I got to see so many 
different reactions to death and their beliefs in what happens and, and the ceremony to help get them to where they need to be. So I, I felt really privileged about that. So yes, Storm, I absolutely, I love speaking with people of other faiths and getting to the nitty gritty about, you know, how, you know, how did you come to this idea and, and what's the significance behind, you know, that article that you're wearing or something that you're saying, because it, it really does. It, it not only builds the community stronger, but there's a lot of things that you can absorb into your own worldview and practice then. Is it weird to say that I'm a little jealous? Because <clears throat> I did I did funeral homework for a bit there. And uh, one of the coolest rituals I was able to attend was the burial of a Catholic priest. Yeah. Oh, those are something else altogether. Those are wild, which is a weird thing to say about, you know, Catholic priest funeral, but because they're so dramatically different from what you see in a typical Catholic mass. Yeah, they are. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Especially because when you have the archbishop show up for the diocese yep. and there's this whole level of, you really like from the outside looking in, unless you're thinking about it, you don't really realize that this is an initiated priesthood and it doesn't really carry that level for a lot of folks because they're not Catholic and they don't, they've never looked at like the Vespers or, or the ordination rites that they go through, but mm-hmm. it's literally an initiated priesthood. And there's an yep. entire way that they take care of their own as part of that. And it's yep. really fascinating to see from the inside. <laughs> And no, we're not going to tell anybody else what we're talking about. We're just going to leave it shrouded in mystery. <laughs> yes, uh, stock your local graveyards and search for the burial of a Catholic priest if you want to know more. I mean, keep an spoiler, eye. Spoiler! Oh, yeah. Spoiler! It's fucking long. <laughs> yes, prepare well, to well be there time. You know exactly when you're going to be leaving. <laughs> Look, they got itineraries and everything. They literally did. When we did that funeral, we had an itinerary. We were given one, like, this is where we bring the body out. This is how we do it. This is where we face it. If you face it west, this is wrong. Yep. Better make sure that the head is towards the altar, feet towards congregation, which is the reverse from what you did, because it reflects their station in life. They were always at the altar facing out to the congregation. Whereas with a typical service, whether it's Protestant or uh, Catholic for a lay person, it's um, feet towards the altar, head towards the congregation, because that was their station in life. They were the ones facing the altar and observing everything. Yeah, for me, uh, growing up with that kind of mindset and the the worldview and everything else, it really affected the how and the why I did ritual. And even as a heathen, there's still some parts of it that I intentionally incorporate, like the rote prayers, for instance. And I definitely vibe with you on that level of like, like Catholicism definitely made me a better heathen because it provides that this is what structure looks like. This is what rote prayer looks like. This is what like standing, sitting, kneeling prayers look like because uh, one of the things that was really weird for Protestant friends growing up. And even as a heathen is like, you have all these positions you pray in, like calisthenics. (laughs) Exactly. But even even in the the, uh, Muslim faith, there's different positions for different things. And if you don't grow up around uh, Muslim folks, you don't know what a given position or prayer style means. And that's a a really unique insight that I'm happy to say that I have. 
but it's really kind of takes me back sometimes because a lot of folks like I have no idea what you're talking about you know you get into this this rhythm of it's you're so used to being around different folks of different religions and then you run into somebody that's like I have no idea what the hell that means and it could be like the simplest symbolism and it might be your own it might be theirs even yeah 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 I, I miss funeral work <laughs> I do too. I unfortunately had to uh, resign because of medical issues. Ooh, I'm, I'm a bundle of defective genes and I'm at the age where I'm losing about an organ a year, um, which means I can't do a lot of the heavy lifting and the long hours, but I'm super grateful for the time that I had because the funny thing is I went into it hoping like I'm wanting to focus on the embalming and restorative art, but I ended up really having a, great time connecting with families and I always prided myself on um, being able to make them comfortable enough and trust me enough that they would start sharing stories and sharing pictures during the arrangement conferences and that would just like kick off a bunch of laughter and then I could kind of joke around with them a little bit and while while hearing the reactions I was thinking of different ways I could help them to personalize the service to make it a, a, a fitting tribute for their loved one and my colleagues would always be like what are you doing it sounds like you're hosting a party back there why is everybody laughing I'm like well they're they're sharing stories they're having a good time mm-hmm. like I'm not I'm not back there like taking orders down on a form of all right what time do you want to do it what color casket do you um, I'm like oh they were an art student that's fantastic um you know what did they major what medium did they work in and that would just open up a whole like I was talking about this the other week when we had a bloat the scathi. And I joke that like, you know, scathi kind of makes me nervous. I don't really work with her, but the story about her laughter is clutch. And I said, I apparently have been honoring her all these years because her laughter amidst her grief and rage was what saved the gods. And if you can laugh, if you can remember that moment of, of humanity or, or whatever it is that makes us us, then you're going to get through this hideous, horrible, brutal time. And that was always the philosophy I had as a funeral director was if, if I could build that rapport, then I would at least try to get them to smile because then, you know, it was just kind of a reassurance that they were going to be okay. That's a really unique uh, way of approaching it. Um, you know, I, I've experienced, a few deaths, we'll just put it that way in my lifetime. And I've come into contact with various different uh, funeral directors and uh, other people that work for them, in particular in that position where they're, they're speaking with the family and they're kind of the one orchestrating the whole gathering and the memorial and everything. And one in particular that really stands out to me was uh, my grandmother's funeral and and I, I'm not gonna lie I'm still a little salty about how everything happened because the the funeral people didn't do anything the way we wanted it it done they had everything there that we wanted but it wasn't arranged the way that it should have been because and there was a specific reason why we wanted it arranged that way because that's how she would have wanted it you know, we knew my grandmother, she was very particular about certain things. 
And so we were very adamant about like, no, this has to go next to this because of this. And like people in our family would have seen it and laughed because of the, the connection between these items, you know, being next to each other. And like, they're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And we're like, we don't fucking care. And it's not so when I, right. And the, the pastor that showed up to do her service, she wasn't necessarily, she didn't have a, a particular denomination that she was partial to. Um, and it wasn't one they just randomly hired out. It was one my aunt chose. Um, he got so many things wrong. I was just like, Oh my God, you're an idiot. Please stop talking. Please stop talking. Please stop talking. Like it was probably the worst funeral I have ever been to in my life. And I've, I've been to plenty and, but to have the ability to sit down with a grieving family and get them remembering like the good things about that person, it actually kind of helps you, I think, in, in that position to say, oh, they're an art student. Maybe we can display some of their pieces around the room. You know, what do you think about that? Bring in some of their favorite art pieces or some of your, the family's favorite art pieces. You know, we can kind of have those around so that they can see how this person influenced the world around them. You know, it gives you kind of like moments, it beats where you can kind of interject and offer them solutions to a problem that they may not have answers to because they're so deep within that grief. So that that's, that's an amazing skill to develop or even just innately have. But I'm I'm actually curious what got you into that work. Like, what was it that interest you interested you about uh, working in the funeral world? Because I know what interested me when I was younger, and it was just the the idea of death and the the transition of it, and I, the curiosity of what is this, you know. Um, but a lot of people see it as kind of morbid, almost. Yeah. Um... I had a lot of reasons why I was interested in it. Um, the, the short, quick answer is I, you know, come from a Norwegian family, long line of very grim and morbid people. So I'm the rock star in the family for doing this. Um, but really it, it was because it's the perfect blend of science and art because I, I love chemistry and biology and physics. And I'm a nerd about that. But I also like the idea of, using creativity to make somebody look good, to make the chapel look, you know, beautiful for the family and for the friends who are coming. Um, and the, the kick that really got me into it, that really got me looking into doing this actually, uh, this is from back when I was uh, still calling myself an Odin's woman and Odin had been kind of the, main guy in my life growing up because my father was a career officer in the army. So Valhalla, 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 you know, that's the goal. And when I graduated college in 2004, of course, our country was at war. And I was like, well, I'm going to go ahead, um, do the army myself. Uh, Ultimately, I wanted to be uh, in the FBI. I wanted to be Clarice Starling. And I'm like, well, you know, serving in the military is a really good way to get connections with the FBI. And if I decide to stay in the military, because it's like a return home to what I knew growing up, um, then I will outrank my father someday. And that son of a bitch will have to salute me. But I ended up breaking my back in basic training. So I kind of had this crisis of identity afterwards thinking, well, there goes my chance for Valhalla. And Odin was like, well, you know, not everybody dies in battle. So somebody has to remain to take care of the dead. 
So that's what kind of lit the fire under my ass to pursue mortuary school options and talk to funeral directors and join the business myself. So, yeah, I, I think that's fantastic. I mean, honestly, and I know Sarah and Caitlin, I have talked about it before. That's uh, in some parts of the heathen community, this uh, Valhalla obsession is really toxic. Incredibly so. And having been through basic training, um, keep me the fuck away from Valhalla. It's perpetual boot camp. I've got, I've already done that. I don't need to go through that again. No, thanks. I'm going to go chill <laughs> by a river somewhere with a cup of coffee and watch them hack themselves to death every day. As an Odinson, Valhalla is like one of the last places I want to fucking go. <laughs> and I don't mean any shade to, to folks who find themselves there. And I don't mean any shade to folks for whom that is their goal, but it's, it's not me. Uh, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Uh, and there's, there's other, other places to go and there's other things to do. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think that like, it's oversold, honestly. Yeah, I, I yeah. don't, I don't begrudge anybody that that's their goal or ambition. You know, great. No. I what I feel is someone who isn't particularly attracted to to Valhalla would be that for a sad amount of people who that is their goal and ambition, they're so focused on getting there themselves that. It's kind of like the warriors forgetting who they're fighting for. They become very mm-hmm. judgmental of anybody that's not going. And it's like, you're fighting for the people who can't fight for themselves. Why are you going to sit there and look yeah. down on them so much? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. So, so how do you transition from all of that, from all that structure and order into working with Loki. This is this is going to be interesting. I want to hear about this. <laughs> Absolutely. Again, not not that interesting. Um, again, it comes back <laughs> to my, my upbringing, <laughs> like all order and structure and whatnot. But um, I have grown up with a very in a very chaotic upbringing. Um, my father was not a great person. He was uh, very scary, to be honest with you. And so I kind of grew up in a state of chaos and being overseas, we were stationed in West Germany from the time I was three years old. And this is during the cold war. We were not too far from Berlin and Fulda gap and all of that. Um, When desert storm happened uh, about like 80% of the soldiers on our base got deployed down there. And so I, I was always kind of, Growing up in that that chaos, everything is changing constantly. Even even something as mundane as being in you know first grade, second grade, you don't even finish a school year with the same classmates because they're constantly rotating as families are being shipped out, deployed, reassigned, and transferred. So there is no real structure in that regard, and the structure that was imposed at home was very negative, which kind of, you know, I chafe against that. But I've also had a lot of really weird experiences growing up as well, like uh, (laughs) 
friend of mine called me perpetually adjacent to catastrophe once when I was kind of rattling through like all the weird like <laughs> of I like that same. yeah I know I'm just like you know what that's pretty accurate I'm gonna yes I'm gonna roll with that like things like um there's like weird brushes with history like Chernobyl uh my father was actually in West Germany searching out a place for us to live when reactor four exploded and we my mom and I joined him less than a month later so you know things like I can't really be outside I'm three years old and there's still radioactive wind blowing in from this exposed meltdown reactor core, you know, this is being picked up in Scandinavia. So it was definitely being picked up in Bavaria. Um, Pan Am flight 108, the Lockerbie bombing. We were supposed to be on that flight, but my father was like, mm, don't really feel like going home to spend the holidays with my mom. So we're going to stay in London. So we missed that, you know, just these narrow, weird <laughs> Chaotic wow, <laughs> it's 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 been a weird upbringing. Um, <laughs> it was like a Doctor Who episode. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like I've like weird touches with history, but like not close to, like oh, it was all me, but also just like interesting. My name, my name is Heathen Gump. <laughs> <laughs> Mom always said life was like a flat of mead. Um, <laughs> well the question is how drunk you're gonna get (laughs) right yeah so and and loki has always been on the fringes of my life um like i said i associate him super strongly with my grandpa frank svensson he just he oh I, i love him and i miss him so so much he actually he actually died the day i shipped down to basic training um i i miss him dearly he was always just he was he was the one in the family who had that deep happy chuckle belt like belly laugh and he just found humor in everything and would try to you know i always felt so sad for him because he would try to like share these jokes and and funny moments with you know his wife and his kids and they like everybody else in that family was so so joyless and so it was like just me and grandpa really were the ones who were like giggling to ourselves. And I've had a lot of recurring dreams from childhood on uh, involving foxes at his house. That, and I always knew the foxes were there because of grandpa, because he was the one who kept us close to the gods and the gods close to us. And I tied them in with Loki, even from a really young age. And when I was in my thirties and I was having uh, a lot of medical issues and you know, more chaos, more my life collapsing and I have to rebuild it, which seems to happen every five or 10 years. Um, Loki finally broke through it. I mean, he's like, all right, you know, I, I don't know how many more times I can like throw you these hints and, and wait for you to pay attention to me, but for fuck's sake, like, come on. And The funny thing is the day after that experience, I was at my very first East Coast thing, which is which was like this huge East Coast uh, heathen gathering. It's it's like a family reunion for a lot of us where we go camping in the middle of the woods, running around a fire. And a very good friend of mine actually had a little thing uh, at the Odinvay after the main ritual because they had something to say. So um, they handpicked a few of us that they wanted there. And I was one of the nine people that were gathered. And 
walking back up to the main fire afterwards, this other girl falls into step next to me and she's like, ah, you're in the military. You lived in Germany. Where were you? And long story short, turns out um, her father not only knew my father because we had lived on the same base at the same time, but her father was the one who actually saved me and my mom's lives and helped get us out of Germany. So, and I got to speak with him on the phone and it was unfreaking believable. It's, it's one of those impossible stories. It was, it was just astronomically impossible that after almost 30 years, two people, 3,000 miles, 6,000 miles, whatever, happened to be in that same group of nine in the woods in northeastern Pennsylvania. And I got to speak to the man who saved my life. And I remembered him. I didn't know what this girl's name was while we were talking. But after we hung up the phone, I was like, what was your dad's name? And she mentions, I'm like, major. Um, and she's like, yeah, it was a, he was a major back then. He, he's not anymore. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I can't believe you're his daughter. <laughs> so it was a special moment, like the, the transitional moment that kind of gave even more credence to the experience I had had the night before with Loki finally breaking through and being like, come on. <laughs> I've, I've, I've been trying to get your attention. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And it was witnessed by the whole community. There were 200 people there that night. And I got to stand in front of the fire with my hero's daughter and raise a horn to him and hear 200 astonished voices, like, you know, scream, hail, major, you know, his name. And so, yeah, that's, that's what finally convinced me to drop the Odin's woman designation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that is an incredible story it is a, a million and one chance that that something like that would happen you know mm-hmm. so yeah, for all the witnesses we had I would doubt that it happened yeah could you um maybe talk a little bit on how your relationship with Loki um well, all right, I'll say the word transformed over time from that moment, you know, because he he's obviously been a part of your life since you were likely either a very small child or ever since you were born. Um, but from that moment of recognition and finally going, yeah, okay, I hear you. Um, come on, let's go. How, how has your relationship with him changed over the years and how has it changed you as a person? It's, changed me dramatically um for one thing i'm i'm considerably happier i'm so much more at peace with myself than i've ever been um like i i do have a lot of ptsd issues and whatnot from my upbringing and from a lot of the things i experienced growing up um but loki has has been instrumental in keeping me from like sinking down into that abyss again He's the one who who was there all along, but this time now I'm I'm finally recognizing he's there and I'm able to grab his hand when I need to. And that has overall made me a much more calm and joyful person. And Segan also is a part of that too, because of course with Loki comes Segan and her just compassion has been unbelievable for me and very comforting for me. And my relationship has become, I, I'm oathed to Loki now. We're, we're like full tree. I joke that I'm a Lokian nun because 
that was one thing that did stick with me from my brief experiment with Catholicism was, oh, I'm, the nuns have, have been made, you know, they don't have to worry about what they're wearing. They get to wear cool little things on their heads and they don't have to worry about where they're going to live. Neat. I want in on that. So I oathed myself to Loki and joked about calling myself a Loki and nun because it's with him, the work is very internal. It's very much, you know, me trying to bring his energy into the world and, and, you know, force honesty, people to be honest and not settle for complacency, not to be just go along with things just because this is the way it's been for how long. No, you shake it up. You deserve better. We all deserve better. Um, and I try to be that kind of like human shaped keyhole that he can like perceive the world through, like just yet another way, as well as also just providing space for him to just be without having to be a God or having to perform or put on a show or anything, just kind of like, now listen, got a nice sized house here. Just find a corner somewhere and pass out, whatever. Um, But with Segan, my relationship is more of a priestess because it's more me bringing her to other people. The Northeast heathen community uh, for years, I never even even heard her mentioned. And I, there was already a Ve for Loki there run by the delightful Erica Wren, who contributed to the book actually. And I got permission to start a Ve for Segan the following year. And we kind of nestled the two of them together and like, so that their little altars and shrines overlap each other. And I lead ritual in honor of Segan and do workshops and whatnot to help educate people about who she is and why she matters and why we need her in our lives, especially these last few years. Because to me, she represents doing what needs to be done, even if you don't get accolades for it and you don't get praised for it. Like simple things like wear wear a goddamn mask, people. Like it's not hurting you. It's not hard. Just wear a fucking mask. And some people make a big performance about it. Others obviously are very much against it, but you do it because it's what you need to do to be responsible and show compassion and kindness to other people in your community because you don't know who you're interacting with. You don't know who they're taking care of at home. You know, it's, it's a simple little bit of kindness and compassion that shit hospitality. Yes, yeah, exactly. that's so old fashioned. I know. Compassion towards my neighbor? What? That does not sound profitable at all. No, no, that, that is not corporate America. I'm Are you sorry. sure you're going to have to axe this idea? <laughs> I'm sorry. I work overseas. I'm painted by those socialists. <laughs> um, thank oh, you so God. much for being willing to talk about that relationship because often, especially in the heathen community, um, and even communities outside of the heathen community, as I've noticed, people like whenever you bring up Loki's name, you kind of get this like fearful look of, Oh my God, you spoke the devil's name. Like you've invoked him. You've brought him forward. Like I I've met people that have actually gotten angry with me for speaking his name because they're like, well, whatever happens now is going to be your fault because you invoked his name. I'm like, bruh, Loki is not the devil. Like y'all need to fucking calm down. Like he's kind of a cool dude. If you're just chill out. Yeah. I mean, he's a pain in the ass. 
he but, can be yeah. he absolutely can be but that's something that he might have to do to shake up your life i you appreciate know? the deep amount of power you think i have that i can summon a god by just saying his name <laughs> right. thanks yeah Seriously. Uh, maybe it's your fear that's bringing him into your life did you ever figure that one out maybe so your fear maybe. is like a beacon to him he's like "Ooh, let's have some fun <laughs> yeah um and i am also grateful that you bring Sigan with him because she they are so much like two sides of the same coin really to me you know they're they're totally separate gods but you cannot have one without the other you absolutely cannot have one without the other and though I don't have a very deep relationship with either of them, I have done quite a bit of work with Loki in the past, but I'm not devoted or dedicated to him at all. I am to his daughter. I am to hell. Yes. And that's honestly with the whole Valhalla talk earlier, I want to go to Helheim. I want to go sit with my amber waves of grain and my nice long house and the deep river that runs through the fucking valleys. You know, I want to chillax on my farm and have some farm animals. I yeah. do not want to fight forever. Um, but I, I appreciate your perspective on, on them and their deny- dynamics together. And with that being said, um, I want you to talk about your book that you have and what inspired it and maybe some of the things that we can find in it and uh, where to find the book as well. So we don't forget that aspect as well. Absolutely. Um, the reason for this book, this, this book has also been like very much life-changing for me. It's funny. Um, a couple years ago when the Troth uh, rolled back their Loki ban, my quote unquote in-law kindred, I'm a member of, of Glitnir, but I have, for just as long i've been friends with uh the amazing people with uh, kindred a man and kindred a man had that they're, they're my my kindred my kin in law um had a loki float to celebrate and of course i had <laughs> raised the horn because i got in blow i don't only praise loki i will praise segan along with and so i honored her when it was my turn and I called her victory woman, because that is a very common kenning that we all know for her. It's one of the only kennings we know for her. And the reason why, of course, people think that victory woman is a good kenning for her is because of the etymology of her name. Siegen, of course, we or like Sieg, we associate with victory and Gin being like, you know, girlfriend type of thing. And one of the members of Kindred a Man is an etymologist who had recently come back from getting his master's degree in Iceland. And he was a little tipsy. So after the bloat, he's like, actually, Segan doesn't actually mean victory woman. And I was like, oh, you know, do talks. I know nothing about etymology. I know nothing about language. Um, I used to be fluent in German. Don't know a word of it now. My grandfather forgot how to speak Norwegian within a few years of coming to America. Like I just do not have the genetic makeup to understand language. So as he was talking to me about the research he had done for his dissertation, which included, you know, using Segan as, as examples and his argument, it, I was turning in my brain. I'm like, we don't know anything about her. There is no material about her out there. Uh, the few books that are out there are uh, not by somebody I would recommend to to a lot of folks for a lot of reasons yeah, yeah. i was like all right got to do something about this 
So um, thankfully, Kevin uh, helped me out. He actually gave me a copy of his dissertation. He did a lot of work in translating a lot of old manuscripts and giving me like, you know, the, some resources to go through and articles to read from other etymologists, linguists. So I, I started building the book around the etymology of Segan's name. And of course it, it grew from there. And I decided to think to, to broaden it to Amer- uh, American histories, American heathen history with Loki, because my experiences early on in the community, you know, why, why do American heathens react to Loki the way they do? And so I reached out to a lot of heathens around the country asking for, you know, both people who honor him and work with him, people who are vehemently Nokian, who don't even like it when you, when you breathe the edge of his name around them. And then people who are neutral or people who like, you know, who loathed him and then have kind of warmed up and, incorporated all of that into it and then it became a devotional where it's not only broaching the history of the american heathen uh relationship with loki but also um extrapolating a lot of information from segan based on what we know about the actual language around her name and i I get into some fun with the etymology behind loki's name as well thanks to kevin's help and uh then threw in some rituals and kind of a 101 primer on heathenry. Cause even though this book isn't just for heathens, it is important for anybody who wants to work with him, whatever background, whatever faith and path you follow um, to have the context. And that's clutch for me. Like for me, everything in life comes down to context. If I don't understand the context of a, of a situation, I will assign one to better understand it. And this whole book is context. It's all right. What are the myths? what do we like how should we be approaching the myths because a lot of people in american heathenry i've noticed uh will take the myths as something like gospel and it's like you know truth and this is how it actually is and this is truly representative of the gods no i get too much literalism sometimes yep just just a bit (laughs) that's the funny part like when you read the first chapter of the book where i go through the lore and i'm explaining you know his role in the myths and my reactions to them you would never know I actually like the dude because I go hard. <laughs> He's an asshole. Like in those stories, he is such a dick. But I mean, there are lessons to be learned from them. And that's, it's like more just, it's a story. There were stories to while away the cold, long, miserable winter nights on a ship or around the hearth. And there's more, I mean, there are morality plays in every culture. Right. A lot of morality mm-hmm. we don't want to emulate. In the Norse myths, as I'm sure you're well aware, but it gives you it gives you something good to chew on and talk about and be like, hmm, why don't we want to emulate this, or why do we want to be like, hey, this is a really good example of how to address a situation. So yeah, the book is gonna it's a kind of a drunk history telling of the mythology. I'm amazed that Llewellyn uh, allowed this book to go to print with as much snark as there is in it. Um, <laughs> One of my favorite editorial notes from the first round of edits. I'm so proud that I made somebody with like a professional like publishing house write this sentence. It was about a, it said nutsack is a funny term, but it's too modern, you know, change. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I mean, and, and obviously the book is available 
on all major booksellers through Llewellyn. Uh, it's a Llewellyn book, but your publicist at Llewellyn, Marcus, was really high on your book. He really promoted it a lot. So even yeah. internally, they they really like this book. So yeah, they've all been having fun, and I have been apologizing to them left and right because, of course, like you know, Loki has been kind of nibbling at their edges now, and I'm like, I need to send you bottles of apology scotch because I am so sorry for introducing him to your life like that. But no, they, oh my God, the folks at Llewellyn have all been incredible. They're, they're, I'm really touched by how excited they are. That's awesome. And I'm really touched for how excited, um, you know, the community is because this is, this book is a gift to Loki and Segan, but it's also a gift to the community, which is why I picked so many brains and wanted their experiences incorporated into it because this isn't just a, you know, something like yay, Loki and Segan. It's also, this is why some people are uncomfortable with him and that's okay because we're not all going to be like buddy, buddy with every deity out there. We just have to to understand each other, open the conversation up. Yeah. And if you are buddy, buddy with gods, I'm going to question every fucking thing you do. Yep. I mean, there's deities I won't touch with the 10 foot poles. That's okay. I mean, I'm not like, you know, giving people who work with them the cold shoulder and getting mad at them for doing so the way a lot of Lokians have had to experience over the years. But it's almost like it's a really big, wild, diverse world out there. And we're not all going to have the same kind of relationships with the deities, just like we don't have the same kind of relationships with each other. And there's nothing wrong with that. Julia, it makes me kind of curious. So when you were doing those surveys and getting all this feedback from various people, was there anything that really surprised you in there that you didn't expect? Not, not really, actually. I, I, was, I was hoping to be pleasantly surprised or even like shocked. <laughs> right. Oh my God, like where did they even come up with that? But it was um, probably because I've been on the fringes of the conversation eavesdropping from about like 1999 on um it's all everything that i'd heard before and i can understand why some people are uncomfortable working with them because a lot of people don't like the concept of chaos and having to uproot their lives and start from scratch and a lot of people don't like having to be honest about themselves and they want to kind of hide behind a persona or like this mask that they've created for themselves. And it's a scary, scary thing to peel away that mask and expose yourself to other people. And the interesting thing about that is, and and in the book, I do uh, discuss this relating it to mortuary terms. Um, The imagination, like we're always harder on ourselves and our imagination comes up with wayward scenarios and the reality is, and that's what Loki does. He, the example I use is um, a lot of times I'd meet with families and they'd say, oh, the, the coroner said this is going to have to be a closed casket service. And I'd say, all right, well, let me take a look at what I can do. And then I have them come the day before the service to see what I did. And they would be amazed because their loved one was intact. Because, of course, their brain, they're thinking that they're like mangled and dripping and, and horrible, horribly disfigured and and they think of suffering and what they must have gone through and the pain they endured. But when you kind of peel back that whatever your imagination is doing to you and you get to see the reality that, no, they're intact, they're whole, they're at peace, they're not suffering, they're not in pain. 
then you're able to move on and go forth. And, and Loki is the one who is with you when you unzip that body bag. He's like, it's not as bad as you're making it out to be. And it's not as bad as others might say it is. It's a matter of perspective. And I'm here with you. I'm going to be here with you while you expose the goriest parts of yourself. And you'll see it's not that gory. After all, it's something we can work with. Yeah, I I think that's a, a big thing people often miss with Loki is he's portrayed as this almost villainous type character in a lot of things and that whatever he does for you is going to be jarring and upsetting and it's going to destroy your life and he's going to come kick in your front door and burn your house down kind of thing. But it's not necessarily always that. I mean, sometimes, sometimes it does happen that way, but it, it sometimes it has to happen that way. Um, but a lot of the life changes that he helped me navigate and a lot of the, the masks that he helped me remove, it was more the fear of the unknown that he was helping me work through and get, get out of so that I could remove the mask myself. He wasn't necessarily removing the mask for me. He was putting me in a position so that I could remove it myself. And I think that that's a big thing that people misunderstand about him because he is very loving and he is very supportive during the entire process. He doesn't just shove you off a cliff with wax wings and says, go ahead and fucking fly. He's got you on his back and he's flying you through the fucking mountains with Freya's falcon cloak, you know, like he will steal her cloak to help you fly through the ravine. That That's kind of what he does. Exactly. One of the things that I heard somebody describe him as is the great humbler. He doesn't just humble the gods. He also humbles us as well. Um, Makes us pause and kind of take a step back and go, oh, I'm an idiot. This is hilarious that I was so afraid of this thing. And you laugh at yourself and you keep going. You know, that's why I love Loki personally. Yep. And that's why I think he's so valuable and so necessary. Yeah, I, I I kind of associate Loki a little bit with like fire itself in the sense like it's it's so helpful and it illuminates, it reveals things. Same point in time, it can also you know set your britches on fire. So it's just you know it's it's one of those sort of energies. But I I love the way you were speaking about Loki that uh, depth of compassion that you had in your voice. That was really that was really touching. That I, I don't think a lot of people see him exactly that way no no not. and i can credit a lot of that to stegan actually um because it was i first met Stegan. even loki has been in my life since you know the, the whole damn thing but i first met segan in college when and this was back in 1999 2000 and it was the aol message boards that's where i first learned about like other americans you know being pagan and, and heathen and whatnot and I was really horrified at what I was seeing uh, regarding discussions about Loki and, you know, sitting there like, you know, have I been lied to all my life? Have I been a fool? Am I naive? And Segan just kind of crept in and she said, he's a good man. She said, if he wasn't, I wouldn't have stayed with him. And that 
just oh that that's like when it when it dropped for me because that was her telling me that and this is upg of course uh but that she made the choice to stay with him in that cave even though she had just witnessed something absolutely horrible happen to her sons that she's grieving mother but she made the choice to stay with him in that cave and to alleviate his suffering as best she could while while she was grieving and it allowed them to grieve together because of course now say what you will about loki but he loves his kids yeah and yeah she said if he wasn't worth loving i would not have stayed with him and i've kept me ever since yeah that's actually a very important distinction is the fact that she chose she chose to be there and chooses to be there she's not forced to be there she's not in chains with him tied to the rock holding that bowl Mm -hmm. she's choosing to be there to catch that venom you know and that that teaches us compassion on such a deep and almost raw level. Like, I don't think anybody can teach passion a compassion in a better format than Sigan. You know, hers is so very in your face and not, not necessarily like, you know, bright flashing neon lights. Look at me. I'm doing this amazing thing kind of thing. It's, it's very quiet and humble, but powerful compassion, you know? Yep. And it, it's it's so beautiful. And I, I rather enjoy her and her energy, but she's just kind of like, no, nah, I'm good. You, you have plenty to fucking deal with. Just, <laughs> just stay over there. You're good. That, that's her compassion towards you. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. She's like, no, no, you've right now you've got hell and Frega and Freya all trying to work with you and you're good. Believe yeah. <laughs> like, Fair. Just want to, you know. Put some gods back. That's that's enough. You can have a back, seriously. But I'm sure it reminds me. It reminds me a lot of like you know, like the 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 stereotypical relationship between like some grandparents. You know, like you got the the grandfather who's playing the tricks and stuff on the grandchildren. You got the grandmother's like, Jesus, Harold, you're scaring the hell out of them. That's perfect. Yes. <laughs> but also at the same did... time, it's that grandpa sticks, you know, that sneaks you the candy and shit. So, you know, it all works out. So I love that you gave him the name Harold. <laughs> Harry. Get the kids out of the tree. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> First of all, I'm tired of you using up all my alcohol seltzer. Second of all, I'm tired of you telling the kids that the dog's rabbit. (laughs) Why is it so on point? (laughs) Chris is a good boy, okay? Leave him alone. (laughs) Oh, all right. My little derailing is over. All right. So. But it is what it reminds me of. I mean, it just reminds me of the, you know, the kind of relationship that uh, is really balanced that way. And it's not always the the guy that's a trickster, the woman that's dependable. And sometimes, you know, there's there's a lot of relationship dynamics, but that's just one that feels very familiar to me. Yeah, that's it's very endearing. And it's sweet. And in, in my experience, um, they are absurdly proud of each other and adoring of each other and it pleases them when the other one is, is hailed or when the other one is spoken well, uh, well of, because it's, it's a very, 
equal footing kind of thing. And I just think it's kind of special and sweet. (laughs) Yeah. One thing I have noticed, um, and it's rare when it happens, but when, and I, like I said, I don't really have a very strong relationship with either of them. I probably have a stronger relationship with Loki than I do with Sigan, but you can always kind of feel her bristle a little bit whenever anybody talks poorly about her husband. And it's such a feral and visceral feeling that comes from her that is almost startling from such a very calm and gentle woman. And it's that whole stereotypical, like, it's the quiet ones you need to look out for. Like, y'all are worried about Loki and you never even bat an eye at Sigan, you know, honestly, of the two of them, she probably scares me more than he does because I understand tricksters. I, I, my teacher is one. <laughs> Hi, Jim. <laughs> you know? Um, and I, you know, I work with Fox and I work with Coyote and I love crows and ravens. You know, I I've had tricksters in my life, my, my whole life. So I understand them, but that, that quiet calm speaks to me on a, on a personal level, because when I get mad, like really mad to that point where I'm just fucking done. I am that person, that quiet calm of get the fuck away from me, or I'm going to rip you into tiny pieces and enjoy every second of it kind of person. And so I kind of, I I have that understanding with her, I think in a way, but it's, it, it makes me honestly a little bit mad when people kind of dig at him a little bit and it it makes me question whether or not they've actually read or come to an agreeable understanding of the myths themselves because if you've actually read the myths and you've read them in their entirety from whatever source you decide to read them from because they're all basically the same they just use different wording yes loki does do tricksy things but he always fixes it in the end. Somehow he twists it in a way to help support the gods. Yep. And they always end up with something way cooler. Like Thor would have never had Mjolnir. Never. Freyr would have never had his pocket boat. You know, like we would have never had a Schlepnir if he had not fixed that. You know, I'm not going to go into the details of that story. If you're curious, look it <laughs> up. It involves horse dick. <laughs> it's covered in my book. Y'all have some mental images you don't want. But it's just, I, one of the things I love the most about him is he forces you to find solutions where you thought there were none. And that that's where a lot of the trickster energy comes from because you get so fixated on trying to fix a problem and he just comes in and he's like hey look over there and you're like oh hey no that totally makes sense like why was I even fixated on this and he's like I don't know see ya (laughs) (laughs) yep well in our our chat room Victoria made an interesting point she says that Loki is one of the most true to himself of the Norse gods and I think I think they're both really true to themselves just in a, in a different way. You know, if that, if that makes sense, I think between the two of them, that's, um, I don't know. It seems like internally, that's the kind of, of faith and building that helps you sort out who you, you are amongst yourselves. Like where are you, your most genuine, where can you be playful? And also where can you be serious? When you can, you be devoted and, um, is that 
how it's built to you as well? Do you think is that if someone's reading this book, is that the kind of stuff they're going to be able to get out of it as well? I hope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I try to be blunt and I, I do cover uh, quite a lot of ground in several places t- saying, you know, Loki is the God of accountability. And if, if you're looking through the myths, a lot of the myths, he, he's not even the one who started the problem in the first place, but he's still dragged in to fix it. And the Locusena, of course, is what everybody holds on to as, as proof that he is against the gods and whatnot. But it's really him just calling them all out on their shit. It's, he's dealt with worse. He's been called worse throughout the stories. And he's like, well, you know what? Y'all ain't great either. Y'all ain't as perfect as, as you're trying to pretend you are. Yep. And it's not like it's a great secret that you're all assholes too. And that's, that's, you know, that's kind of how I approach the gods as well. I'm just like, y'all, y'all, y'all are insane. Y'all are absurd. But the Locust Senna too is also like, it's just a weird myth because the things that he's calling out, uh, you know, the behaviors, the witchcraft, the cross-dressing and whatnot, that was the basis of a lot of the myths that it wasn't seen as a negative up until the Locust Senna, which of course yeah. is the one that's most commonly regarded as being tweaked the most because the things that Loki's calling out and that myth tend to be more um, against Christian morality and values than anything else that you, we've seen in the sagas. I mean, hell, <laughs> just read, pick a saga, any saga, that shit's messed up. I mean, you've got like wolf bestiality and people like incest all over the place and plotting against each other. It's, it's wild, wild stuff. So yeah. when you read the stuff of the Locusana, you're like, well, why is this a bad thing when you're looking at the, the wider body of, of literary work of the culture this came from? Not saying that, I, you know, back then everybody was like going around fucking wolves and their sisters, but it's like all symbolism and, and relating to something else. It's a weird metaphor for, for other things going on. This is kind uh, of shit that gets heathens kicked out of the petting zoo, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Not that kind of petting, even. It's not that kind of petting. <laughs> it, just made, it just makes Caitlin cover her face. <laughs> but you're right. Wow. I mean, I mean, that's. <laughs> I mean, it is the problem, though. It's the problem with taking stuff so literally on some of these. It's just that. I mean, if you were to take it that literally. This is why there's so many problems. They are, they are morality tales, or they're things that convey a concept. They're not literal. Yep. They're scraps. And That's the I, thing that gets me the most about this. They're fucking scraps. They're parts. They're not a corpus. And a lot of this stuff was pulled together from disparate sources, the most complete of which was found in a fucking barn. Like, folks. It, it, uh, one of the things that really strikes me, too, is how selective people get with where they pick and choose what to pay attention to. Because if they're like, well, you know, this is the truth. And they put a capital T on it. Okay, so are you saying Odin's from Troy? Because that's where Snorri... <laughs> <laughs> says that Odin came from. Um, what about the Lokatatur? Why, why does that get discarded? You know, one of one of where Loki is 
definitely the hero uh, who saves the kid in the story when both Odin and I believe Thor can't. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it, it, honestly, a lot of it, it, it smacks of, I wanted a devil for my story and it makes me feel good. And completely ignoring, you know, context, which I'm happy that's what, that's a lot of what you've put into the book from what I'm gathering is a lot of context around these stories because so many people are like, okay, just read the myths. Like, no, no. If you read those myths straightforwardly and you expect them to say what they're supposed to say, we're going to be really fucking confused because it, it, is Odin to God? Does he come from Troy? We don't know. No. It's, it's, yeah. No, absolutely. hundred percent. And it's, oh my God, I've got a frog in my throat all of a sudden. Sorry. <clears throat> the other thing that cracks me up uh, with a lot of modern American heathens is, of course, Odin is held as like, you know, one of the, the greatest, you know, most respectable gods to honor. Oh, but- he's a gigantic douche canoe. He, oh my god! Oh, that one-eyed bastard! I, I will refer him to him as such. In I love him very dearly. Mm-hmm. I'm, yep. I'm but, an Odinson, but yeah. I know what my father is. Yep, he he is, and I, I again I call him out a couple times in the book because I'm like everybody thinks that Loki is this like horrible sneaky creature. I'm like, have you met Odin? Have have you had any interactions with that son of a bit? Like, and the fact that. And, and I say this with the greatest love of Odin. Like, I'm really just the closer I am to a deity, the more uh, casual and insulty I get about them. I totally get it. I do. Yep. It's, it's very much the way I am with, with humans. Like, the more I love you, the more I'm going to tease you. You're um, on the right show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, because there's a big difference between reverence and bullshit, right? <laughs> I'm real with my gods. And part of that being real with my gods is also not covering over the shit they've done that's wrong. Like, let's just call us moral-wise, whatever. You know, Odin has done some rinky-dink horrible shit to get the power that he has. Right. Oh, I mean, like, you know. Slaughtering those slaves to get to the mead of poetry and then seducing Gunloth horrible well like even outside of the the lore that i know of because i'm not as good as lore as you are but i mean like anybody calling odin you know the upright straightforward the king of the gods is it's like he and you know meanwhile tears over here going fucking used to be my throne (laughs) yeah right yeah it all comes down to which region of scandinavia during which time period are we talking about when we're talking about the hierarchy or who was a god or wasn't but it cracks me up with like the high reverence that everybody has for Odin when loki is his blood brother you know that's something that's established just like how you can't have loki without segan and segan without loki you can't have any workings with with that old one-eyed bastard without loki lurking around in the background because they are a two-man con they always have vice versa yes yep yep and that's how I got to know Loki was through Odin. I didn't like, I came out of uh, the kind of American paganism where you don't talk about Loki in ritual unless you want shit to happen. Mm-hmm. And it took a while for, for me to break myself of that mindset. It did. And really came home when I was reading the myth of the Locusena and he 
reminded Odin of his blood brother ties. What's offered to you is offered to me. Oh, right. <laughs> we're not talking about fucking humbling. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, that's, that's what cracks him. Like, everybody's like, hell in. But Loki's a part of that because they are, they're, they're con men. It's a two-man con. Like, Neil Gaiman said it in American Gods, and that is accurate as hell. It's like one of the best descriptors I've ever heard of the two yes. of them. Yeah, I, I was actually going to comment on that earlier, that uh, Neil Gaiman's depiction of Odin and Loki and their relationship with one another in American Gods is probably one of the closest uh, representations of my own personal UPG, like my own personal mysteries in that that relationship between the two of them. And I'm like, I'm so grateful to Neil for that story and for many, many reasons, just because it's a very interesting take on how the gods were transformed when they were brought here from their homelands and how they adjusted. Um, but uh, Victoria actually asked an interesting question in the chat. Um, she asked, I'm curious what you think of the idea that the Locusana was adjusted by Snorri to fit a more Christian audience. Like, what do you, how do you feel about the idea that Snorri was uh, Christian when he wrote that and how th- his Christianity affected his retelling of those stories um it i personally think that absolutely it's been christianized heavily because like i said like the other the other stories you know present even if you're presenting them as these are just funny tales to tell around the folk around the fire when you're bored at night or whatever and you got a bunch of drunk you know scandinavians telling stories and trying to make each other laugh but then he comes in with the Locusana and he's calling people out for witch, for practicing witchcraft and magic and for taking a woman's form and for doing this, that, and the other thing that aren't, in, A, aren't inherently bad things, even if you like look at them from the vacuum of what they are, and B, um, were the basis again, like of a lot of the stories and the myths and, and the nature of the gods and how they do things and why they're doing things. Um, so it just feels very much at odds from the rest of the mythology, whether you're reading it in the poetic era, the prose era, any of the retellings, it just feels like it's tacked on, like condemning everything else that you read prior. Like it's, it's, I'm sure that the gods do have some actual dirt and Loki has actual dirt on the other deities that he could have whipped out and it would have been more effective. But the fact that he went things were so tame, um, well, you know, minus the whole Freya Freya thing, things that were so tame otherwise in context of everything else that was presented in the sagas and in the mythology, it's, it's almost like he was, kind of saying yeah these were great stories great characters but don't emulate them we don't want to be like them remember we are a good you know god honoring or god fearing christian nation so we remember these we're writing this down to preserve our cultural heritage and a history and to help provide amazing examples of skaldic poetry meter and rhythm and you know kennings and this is how how the poets need to do things so here's the examples to go by but also, uh, remember, these are flawed, horrible creatures in comparison to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That, that's always been my take on it. It's been my read on it. 
and you know other people's mileage may vary it, it occurs to me like it's worth pointing out that his grandfather was pagan and he, he being a christian lawyer and a christian chief is probably trying to do no small amount of distancing while still saving a lot of that like i think that's something that a lot of like he's not a fucking monk folks like he was not a fucking monk like, <laughs> i don't know how this became a meme it drives me crazy sorry i know but, oh, same um but he was a christian lawyer who had a vested interest in his culture not disappearing with nationalism being on the rise. Yep. And yeah, context matters a great deal, especially when you're, you're looking at how these, these myths were composed and who was doing the composing. Yeah. And that's a fun point because in the conversations I've had with Nokians, a lot of them uh, have said to me that it's because um, that they can point to different uh, instances in the stories about Loki inciting familial violence against the other gods. It's like, well, you realize that Snorty was engaged in some blood wars with his own nephew, right? Like, this is very much a reflection of the society in which they, they grew. Like, he was out, like, you know, slaughtering his own relatives. Yeah. God, at, they're just like us. At the very end of his life, what was he doing? He was running from a feud <laughs> that he started. Yeah. If my memory serves correctly. Yeah. So again, it's like those little contextual points that, of course, not everybody's going to know it. You don't expect oh. everybody to know it. But if this is why you're reacting to something um, with a negative way to the point where you're like, we don't mention that name around here, it'd be interesting to uh, go again into the history, get that context, understand, again, that not only are these, as you said, snippets and scraps that just happen to be around in Iceland at that particular point in history. And we don't know what was going on in Lapland region or what was going down near Stockholm or Oslo or Copenhagen regions. We don't know what was going on in Northern Ireland because there were a lot of Vikings settling there. And, you know, the more they spread out, the more they mingle and meet other cultures, the way things are shaped because it's very heathen to, you know, community building, like, oh, that's a really cool concept. Mm-hmm. We're going to take, we're going to take that. You know, it, it's, there is no one right way to heathen because there was no one right way, even when it was the predominant faith and practice. It depends on where you were, who you were around, what year it was. <laughs> what your station was even. Yeah, exactly. Were you a chieftain or were you out like, you know, scrubbing shit out of sheep wool so you could spin it like very different interpretations and reactions to who's going to be gathering around your hearth and what kind of stories you're going to tell but so it goes (laughs) i i appreciate you bring bringing that real deep insight into his nature because i think it's something that every lokian or lokian adjacent person we've had on the show brings their own flavor of Loki and yours definitely uh, when you were reflecting on your grandfather I definitely got that kind of grandfatherly vibe from the stories you were telling and even just the little bits and pieces of the myths the way you tell them it, it brings this kind of grandfatherly feel to the surface now I'm I'm used to a much more younger robust Loki, and that's a very interesting difference in expression and flavor, if you will. 
And I really find that fascinating that each person that I've met that worships him, myself included, brings their own mm, variation, I suppose, of him forward. And I think this is true with a lot of our gods. Um, You know, the parts that vibe the most with your God are going to be brought forth in you and vice versa. And I, I find it damn fascinating that the grandfather is the one that comes forth the strongest. Hmm. Thank you so much for saying that. Cause uh, yeah, like I said, I, I miss him terribly. And this book is dedicated to him. Um, I'm the only grandchild. I'm the only child. The family line ends with me. And this book is also kind of a way to, so that he's remembered so that his influence can be shared among other heathens and among other people. So thank you very much for um, picking up on the, on the grandpa reverence because, because grandpa Frank was amazing. And and this, this is a a work of love for him too. I, I agree with that, Sarah. I also think that part of what I'm picking up on with that, that different flavor here and the, the part that's really resonating with me. And, and this, I think, falls into the context is everything for a lot of these conversations. I find that we as a society, we have a lot of crossroads that we're at and there's a lot of trauma, especially at the last few years have brought and so your words of how Loki and, and Sigan can help with and help you with PTSD really speaks really strongly to me. That combination of having empathy and loyalty and compassion, but also being able to shine a light on things, maybe you know, say, yeah, it's awful, but it's not as awful as you thought it was going to be, kind of having that trickster energy about it. I think that's a really powerful statement for where we are right now societally i agree i'm I'm not gonna lie uh last year on january 6th as that news was breaking i just i kind of put my hands up i'm like loki do what you need to do because the way things are going it cannot be sustained something needs to give here's an opportunity do what needs doing because we've got a lot of walls we need to tear down around here (laughs) Figuratively and literally. Yeah. You know, and with your father being in the, the military, you just look, I just think about all the people that have returned from service mm-hmm. and have all that stuff that they're trying to work through. And um, I don't know, it just seems like this is a really good way for people to maybe explore a little bit of that healing work. And it, it, it seems to me as well that there might be people that are really scared about shining a light on some of these things and that's part of why loki is so intimidating to them but now you're offering that in my mind it feels like hey if you work more with Sigan, then then loki's going to become more available in a different way and it's not so scary so it seems really important that you did put both of them together in this book yep yeah like i said it started out as a devotional to Sigan, uh but of course the torp had to warm his way in because that's just what he does. Party crasher. <laughs> <laughs> I think Go it's good. It, it, it's an awesome dynamic. And when you're you're going through healing, you know, a lot of people say you got to have compassion and um, 
gentleness with yourself, which is obviously the second side of everything, but you often forget about the humor that you have to explore too while you're, you're healing and to have the two side by side and working together to help you through whatever the fuck it is that you're going through, because let's face it, nobody's trauma is worse than anybody else's. And if you're downplaying yours, then that's part of the trauma kind of thing. Um, it, they're a very powerful duo really. And I, I'm very glad that the twerp wormed his way into this devotional that he, he started making for Sigan because to have one without the other, it doesn't really seem right. Um, and I, I was one of the people that was actually afraid of Loki to begin with. And I, I know I've probably told this story before and I'm, I apologize to our listeners, but this is for our new listeners if they haven't heard that episode yet. Um, I originally started working with Hell a long time ago, probably eight or 10 years ago. And I was very trepidatious about the amount of attention her father was giving me. Um, He would just randomly pop up in my life and just be like, sup girl, how's it going? What are you doing? What's going on? What is the gossip? (laughs) The scoop, you know? And I'm just like, I'm fucking scared of you. I don't know what to do right now. Um, So I'm going to go sit over here and have a nice life. Okay. See ya. Bye. What the fuck? Um, And it wasn't until hell took me on a journey to where he was bound in the cave and forced me to look at him in that position, forced me to see him there. And then when I was overcome with emotion and sadness and, and fear for him, she then turned me to look at Sigan and said, but he's being cared for, you know, look at when the venom isn't hitting him, he's able to rest. He's able to find that moment of peace and take a breath and relax. And he has all that time before that bowl fills to feel that rest and to kind of, heal and center and reground before he goes back at it. And in that moment, she taught me a very, very powerful lesson of when you are going through your own healing, you're going through that trauma. You have to have those moments of pause, those moments of compassion, those moments of, okay, I need to take a breath because this is too hard. And I I think that's what Sigan really brings to it is that moment of, okay, let me hold you for a minute you know, let me hold you for five minutes. Let me hold you for 30 seconds, you know, breathe. I got you. And now go back at it again. You know, it's, I think she's that moment in our life where we're forced to pause. It's that moment right before chaos hits where like you see the train coming towards the car on the tracks and everything just kind of does that weird, like, whoa, slow down, pause, everything kind of like slow mo's. she's that moment right before all the chaos goes fucking berserk but it's that breath that space of that moment that is elongated and you get to grasp the moment of like oh fuck shit's about to hit the fan i need to fucking find something to hold on to you know and i i that's cool i'm i'm very excited to read your book because there isn't a lot of media 
a lot of positive media out there about either of them. And there especially isn't hardly anything out there with them together. So thank you for the amount of work and devotion and dedication that you put into this work. Thank you. Thank you. I have that. A lot of that credit goes also to the Northeast Teething community and to Kevin as well, because they were hugely instrumental and supportive in making this what it is. So I'm, you know, it, it, just like how, you know, when you're going through that trauma and healing, Sigan is that reminder that you're not alone. You're never really alone. Um, <clears throat> this book, it's, it's, my name is on the cover, but this was a group effort. It's, 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 it's a tribute to community as well as to my grandfather and to Loki and Segan. I, I'm going to ask you a question. And if you don't have an answer, that's fine. Let me preface that. I don't have um, one. But I, I, I feel like, you know, a lot of our listeners are pretty, pretty strong and savvy practitioners. And I know you said that in this book, you laid out a lot of the basics of, of heathenry and, and that sort of thing. So you know, I know there's a lot of the 101 type stuff in there for people that are just, but I feel like having the opportunity to have someone that's a nun of Loki on the show, is there something that's kind of the, and, and this can include personal gnosis, or as we like to call it on the show now, personal mystery. Is there something that's kind of 201 that you wish you'd been able to include something that you really kind of thought, mm, this might be a bit much for people or something that you might recommend that people try that have been doing their practices for a while that want to explore. Hmm. Like I said, this can be something from your personal insights. I was just wondering if there was anything like that. Yeah. Here, Jim, I'll, I'll help you hit the gas pedal on this bus here. When are you going to dry? When are you going to write the book on the 201 working with Loki and Sigan? <laughs> Oh, I could probably just be like, oh, check out my blog for that. <laughs> <laughs> which is, and where can they find Le Loki, which I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly. It's kind of a bastardized Norwegian translation for live, laugh, Loki. Um, it's, uh, I, I'm going back to the very beginning of this conversation when everyone was talking about, you know, the different projects, but, and the kind of in that fallow period to the season and, not quite following up on things. I've gotten so bad about updating my blog. And I really, Same. really want to, because uh, I not only have like 7,000 ideas to do, but I kind of want to restructure because now that this blog is not just going to be like this personal word vomit thing for like three people who read it, who read it. But um, I've stepped away from Patheos for a couple of reasons. And I kind of want to create a page on my blog for those more generalized educational type articles and resources and things like the kind of things I was doing on Patheos while still like having the personal babble nonsense, like there, I'm not giving up on that because that's like my therapy <laughs> working through everything, but to have something that's, that is a little more like 201 focused, I guess you could say, um, <clears throat> more advanced things like well the, the next book I, I hope to write I'm still kind of in the chewing on the idea thing would be something along the lines of um all father not some father where it becomes a takedown of oh I like it already yeah. <laughs> yep where I, I want to go into the, deep into the history of 
because somebody, somebody at one point uh, years ago had asked me, you know, well, if your religion is drawing a lot of racists and white supremacists, you might need to examine why that is. Like, what it is, what is it about your religion that draws these kinds of people? And obviously, yes, we have, you know, y- uh, Jakob Grimm and everything that followed from there up to the Third Reich to point at, to look at, and, and showing how everything was bastardized and twisted around and, and whatnot. But I want to go into the deep history, too, of what Scandinavia really was like, how, how diverse the populations really were, how equal, like the kind of quality that people of different colors and creeds and sexes, you know, enjoyed. Like, I'm not, It's not only going to be like, well, why is this something that we're dealing with now? It's going to be more why is this so at odds what heathenry is really about and what our ancestors actually did. So I'm hoping to attack that. (laughs) Might not be as snarky. It might be as snarky because I don't know. I don't give a whole lot of uh, consideration or respect to those kinds of people. So I might just, I, like I want this book to kind of be a teardown, like why everything they're saying and doing is wrong on every conceivable level. And yeah. Yeah. I think you're going to need the snark for that book because even if you write it without the snark, they're not going to read it anyway. So you yeah. might as well put the snark in it. Uh, yeah. And I think I'll have to just for my own, like mm-hmm. so that my, my brain doesn't break during the process. Because fuck them. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Screw you guys. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, no, I I do hope to get my my blog kind of revamped over the next month or so, uh, so that I have some more like advanced in-depth. Okay, so so you've so you've met the gods, you want to take things to the next level. You know, what do you put out? You know, put out a nice brisket or something to welcome them. We got to get the casserole, Karen, and you go light the candles and you get the Yule log. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's all heathenry is to you, isn't it, Jim? It's just a bunch of fuckers <laughs> walking around like they're the Swedish chef. Wait, we're not? The runes are okie dokie. Okie dokie dokie. Yeah, we had you know, the full up. <laughs> you know. But it, you know, come on, Sarah. I, you know, I've got an altar. I've got Loki over there. I've got a few others. It's just, you know, it's my side chick sort of religion. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. I am glad we are in different <laughs> Hey, you know, here. around Grandfather Fire, new t shirts are coming out. Loki is my side chick. <laughs> Loki is my side, side chick. chick. Oh, my God. Those would sell like hotcakes. And now you also have the, uh, Title for the episode. That's right. <laughs> Loki is my side chick. Yes. Oh, man. Love it. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I love that so much. <laughs> uh, well, we'll let you use the title as the next book, too. That'll be good. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that could 
Maybe you're a 201. Loki is my sweet chick. <laughs> I mean, come on, Laura. We, we know that it's, it's going to work. <laughs> oh, my oh my goodness this is if it helps any i, I actually have a ritual <sighs> i would like to contribute to the 201 <laughs> but i won't go into detail on it here because that that is it if you don't know what you're doing it could be a mildly dangerous ritual so <laughs> all, the two, all the 201 <laughs> shit is ideally yeah, right, yeah, ideally yeah. right I mean, that's kind of, no. you put your hand close enough to the fire, you expect to get burnt. But the, the point is that you won't get burnt because you know what the fuck you're doing. Ideally. Ideally. <laughs> See, I, I kind of think 201 is knowing that you're going to get burnt, but you were smart enough to bring the medicine kit with. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's right? like, I, I know I'm going to get burnt, but I got my newest board. We'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> I got my burn kit. We're cool. Yeah. <laughs> and it's me asking at the beginning, y'all have your extinguishers ready. That's right. Yeah. That's right. See, well, anybody else have any other questions we want to ask or anything else we want to cover? Will you come back? Yes. <laughs> Will you come back? <laughs> uh, we should, we should actually have her and a, uh, 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 oh no, I almost called her by her real name. You know who I'm talking about, Nicole. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, we should. Yes, we should. Another, yeah, another Loki's bride. Yes. That would be. And snarky. I wonder I was gonna if there's, say, a, what if there's yeah. a pattern there. <laughs> about a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we're definitely going to have to do it again. So. I had a blast. Thank you again for having me. And if you'll have me again, I will definitely be. Uh, just let me know when. Excellent. Thank you so <laughs> much. Yes, for I will. Thank and you. Thank yes. you to all of our listeners. We appreciate you as always. We we get so much good feedback from you all on these shows. The only thing we would ask if you if you can help us out. Go to Spotify, which now you can leave podcast reviews. Go to iTunes. Give us us five stars. Help boost us up in the ratings and help other people find the show. We would really appreciate that. That's the simplest thing that you can do uh, for us that that costs you nothing but a few moments of your time. So if you could do that, we would really appreciate it. But from all of us to all of you, thank you. And we'll see you next time around the fire.
off the dumb 